my mom told me I could go over to the neighbors who usually babysat me. I told my mom that she had a spider on her head. This year we were going to New York City. It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. On the apple seed, we always think that great stories can change your world. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and we always hope that the stories that we bring you on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. We're going to do a little remembering today, in fact. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to bring you some memories of some of of our favorite moments, some of the things we love working on the most from season two of The Apple Seed, in preparation for taking just a little bit of a break and then coming back with season three. We're thrilled about some of the stuff we're going to bring you in season three. We can't wait to share it and hope you'll join us. In the meantime, I'm joined in the studio by our producers, Dr. Brian Tanner, Dr. Heather Bigley. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, great to be here. Hello. And we're dedicating this episode of The Appleseed to some of Brian's season two memories. Brian, what do you got for us? Yes, well, Sam, I have brought in a story first that came from our episode 14 of season two. It's called Pedro's South of the Border. <laughs> um, and it comes from the Los Angeles storyteller Antonio Sacre. And I love this one just because it's fun, you know? <laughs> it, it, and it's so relatable. I mean, who hasn't been on... A, a road trip like this. Where on I-95? <laughs> <laughs> Me? I've been on I-95 driving up to... Have you Have you done the Delaware to uh, to Miami? Uh, basically, uh, Gainesville to Baltimore. Okay. Many, That's many, many times. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, well, you're hearing the story that yep. they're on I-95 on this road trip, <laughs> but I think it's so relatable because we've all had times when you're just stuck in the car hour after hour after hour and getting squirrely and, <laughs> and all the memories that can result from that. Yeah. And and kept quiet, kept from yeah. fighting too much by anticipation of something that may or may not live up to expectations. <laughs> yeah. This is the story Pedro's South of the Border shared with us. Uh, we, we recorded it live in the Appleseed studio during a visit from the great Los Angeles storyteller Antonio Sacre. Here he is. My father comes from Cuba. He came from Havana, Cuba, and settled in Miami with all the other Cubans in Little Havana in Miami. Somehow, he ended up in Boston, Massachusetts, where he met my Boston Irish-American mother. And the two got married. And so I am the son of a Cuban man and an Irish-American woman, or like one of my friends calls me, a leprechaun. <laughs> And uh, my, on my, I was born, and on my very first birthday, my mom gave birth to twins. So I've never had my own birthday. There's three of us. We all have the exact same birthday. And uh, I'm one year older, and, uh, and uh, for a few years, it looked like we were triplets. And that's what my mom had to deal with. Well, we would get in the car in that Volari station wagon I'd mentioned earlier, and we would go on road trips. How many of you remember road trips? I was on a plane this morning, and there was... Uh, very fussy child who the mom was able to give an iPad to and she was totally fine after that and I was grateful for that technology. And I know that my mom would have done anything to have something like that to make us quiet back in the day. Because what would happen in our car rides is we would have to invent games to keep us occupied. And you may remember some of these games. We would leave Delaware, where we ended up living, and we would go seven hours north to the Boston Irish family. Seven hours with young kids in the car is a long time. And sometimes we would go the other direction. 19 hours in the car to Miami, Florida. Now, I am much older than some of you here and probably about as old as some other people here. When I was a kid, we had no iPads. We had no iPhones. We had no CD players. We didn't have a cassette player. We only had an AM radio in the car. I know you all know AM radios. Do you remember the old school AM radios with the red dial that you would turn and you would roll in on a station? You would have to tune it to the left, to the right, and you'd get a station for as long as the antenna lasted, which if you were traveling was sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes 60 minutes, and the station would fade, and you would have to literally go through silence on the radio. Can you imagine a kid today having nothing to listen to? 
How many millions of songs can they hear on their devices? Back then, there would literally be three stations on the radio and only one that we all could agree on. So the first half hour of the trip, we would settle in on that one station that made the three boys in the back and the two parents up front happy. Well, when that station started to fade, my mom had to invent games to play. We played I Spy. You've probably played I Spy. We started to play the license plate game. Do you remember the license plate game? Lots of different ways to play it. When we were younger, it was just recognizing the numbers and try to recognize them in order from one to nine and backwards from nine to one. And then when we got a little bit older, adding the numbers on the license plates. And as we got older, multiplying the numbers on the license plates. And then the square roots of the numbers on the license plates. And then it became geography. Where is that state in relation to we are west of here or north of here or south of here on the east coast it was all of that there was no states east of us and um and then we would try to make up words from the letters on the license plates and what was the capital of those states now i don't know if kids play is there an app for a license plate game now or are kids turns out i've learned as i've been, been storytelling in schools the last 20 years or so that when kids eyes are scanning the horizon this is pre-reading ability so I spy is actually helping kids to read and picking out letters and numbers on license plates is the same thing. My mom was just trying to keep us quiet. So the license plate game worked for about another 30 minutes or so. And then we would get into the fields south of Delaware, the farm fields. I know we're in farm. There's farmland not too far from this big city for sure. And my mom invented, and you may know this game, maybe you don't, the counting cows game. <laughs> the way we played it was if you had cows on your side of the car and you could count them out loud, that was your score. But only if you could count them before they were gone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. My brother Robert on the right side. I've got seven. I'd be on the left. One, two, three, four, five, six. Ah, six. Seven to six. Henry, who sat in the middle, he hated sitting in the middle. How many of you had to sit in the middle when you were younger? But the advantage of sitting in the middle is the kid who sat in the middle always won the counting cow game because he was allowed to count cows on both sides of the car. So the counting cow game worked for a while. And then if you saw a cow that was laying down, you added two. And then if you saw a goat, you added seven. And if you saw a sheep, you subtracted 14. And is that a sheep or a goat? I don't know. And a big discussion about sheeps and goats and another half hour of the 19-hour road trip was chewed up. And then my mom invented, I don't know if you have this variation, that if you passed a cemetery on your side of the car, all of your cows died. <laughs> But if you passed a church, they were resurrected. So you had to remember. So it was up and down and up and down. And the cow came, would eat up another hour in the car. And then three or four hours into the 19-hour road trip to Miami, Florida, my brother Robert asked the question that children have been asking since the beginning of time. Are we there yet? And my dad is driving. He looked in the rearview mirror and he says, No, mijo, we have like uh, 17 hours more left to go. Is that a long way? Sure, da my dad says, sure, it's a long way. We have to stop in a hotel tonight and another hotel tomorrow, and then we'll be at grandmother's house. My brother's looking out of the window, and he's very bored. And then he sees a sign, a billboard. It says, Pedro's south of the border, 900 miles. My brother says, Dad, did you see that sign? See, mijo, yellowy, I saw that sign. What do you think Pedro's south of the border is? My dad says, I don't know, but we'll find out in 900 miles. <laughs> is that a long way, Dad? My dad could have said yes. If it was today, he would just Google, how long till we get to the Pedro south of the border? But he turns it into a math problem. Mijo, we're traveling 70 miles an hour. When are we going to get to Pedro south of the border? Go. And the three of us try to do this math problem. <laughs> it kept us quiet for 30 minutes. <laughs> dad, we'll probably get to Pedro south of the border tomorrow around lunchtime. And then my dad sped up to 72 miles an hour. When are we going to get there now? Oh half an hour. Dad, we're going to get there like five minutes before lunchtime. And my dad sped up and slowed down and sped up until finally we were smart kids. Dad, you're just trying to trick us into doing math. Ho, ho, ho. So we're driving along. So finally, after we got bored of the math game, my brother finally said, Dad, what do you think Pedro south of the border is? And my dad did the magic thing. What do you think it is? And then he listened. And the three of us had a massive conversation about what it could be. My brother Henry said, maybe it's an amusement park, Dad. Maybe it's got a roller coaster and it's got bumper cars. And I say, maybe it's a big swimming pool. We all can go swimming. 
My brother Robert says, yeah, maybe it's an amusement park with a swimming pool and a great big trampoline park. And we can jump on the trampoline into the swimming pool and off of the diving board onto a roller coaster. And Robert's imagination just starts going crazy. He's imagining this amazing wonderland, Pedro's south of the border. And then quiet in the car, another radio station, 20 or 30 minutes, maybe another farm playing the counting cows game. And then another billboard, Pedro south of the border, 815 miles. Dad, when are we going to get there? Do the math. We do the math again. We come to the same conclusion, tomorrow at lunchtime. <laughs> and each time, my brother says, what do you think it is? And my dad says, what do you think it is? And we keep inventing more and more things. Finally, we say, what do you think it is, Mom? And my mom says, I think it's a spa where I can get a massage. <laughs> Dad, what do you think it is? I don't know, mijo. Maybe it's a delicious restaurant. We can have beautiful food. And then four of us in the car get tired of what is Pedro south of the border going to be except for my brother Robert. My brother Robert is inventing things that didn't even exist yet. Dad, it's a rocket ship that we can all go up into the sky and we can orbit the moon. Dad, it's this thing where like you can go into a submarine and then they have scuba masks that come on you and you're out there scuba diving and then you can launch up onto the roller coaster and you go around the roller coaster and he's just going crazy with Pedro south of the border. We stop at a hotel the next morning, billboard, Pedro south of the border, 200 miles. Robert says, Dad, go 200 miles an hour. We'll be there in one hour. My dad says, no, mijo, we're not doing that. Go faster than that. But finally, the miles are kicking off, and the last billboard says, Pedro's south of the border, two miles. And this, you can Google this now when you turn on your phones later on. It says, kids, start screaming now. Your parents will stop. <laughs> My dad says, no screaming. Well, of course we're going to stop. And then one part of the mystery was solved. Just south of the border of North Carolina and South Carolina is Pedro's south of the border. South of the border of North Carolina. And we get into South Carolina and we exit down this long dirt road. And we turn the corner into this huge, empty parking lot with this little taco stand in the corner. <laughs> and this rickety sign that says, Welcome to Pedro's Tacos. <laughs> and my brother Robert just... It's a taco stand. And he just starts sobbing. That nine-year-old sobbing, just snot everywhere. He's just going, it's a taco stand. And my dad's trying to say, well, well, mijo, you know, it's lunchtime and I love tacos. Mom says, I love tacos. I said, I love tacos. Robert said, I love tacos too, but I hate Pedro. I hate Pedro. And there's nothing else. So we get tacos and the tacos are delicious. And we're eating the tacos, but Robert just cries all the way through South Carolina, all the way through Georgia all the way into Florida, and there's a sign out there, and you're not going to believe this, but my dad is from Cuba. It said, Disney World, 20 miles. And my dad said, I wonder what Disney World is. And my brother says, it better be better than Pedro south of the border. <laughs> and we get to Disney World, and it is amazing. And Space Mountain is something my brother never forgot. My dad's screaming more than anybody. And we get off that roller coaster, and to this day, my brother denies that he ever cried that hard about Pedro south of the border because all he remembers is the roller coaster at Space Mountain. And every time we tell the story, it gets longer and longer, and he cries longer and longer. And finally, just another seven hours until we get to Abuela's house, my grandmother Mimi's house in Little Havana, and she's waiting. ¿Qué tal fue el viaje? How was the trip? My dad, fue un desastre. Era un Pedro south of the border que era no más que taco. Estaba ahí llorando, llorando. My brother, it's amazing, grandmother. We went on Space Mountain. It was so great. And we had that meal that I can think of every time the smell of it and the sound of the pressure cooker in the kitchen, the, the little hat dancing on the pot. And then we sit on the couch, all of us, because there's nothing on TV. Do you remember nothing on TV? Do you remember when it would turn to, to snow at midnight and the flag would come and that would be it? There's nothing on TV. It's too hot to go outside. My grandmother's sitting there looking at me and me looking at her. And every year I would sit there and I would ask her the same question. Abuela, ¿cuántos años tienes? How old are you? She'd say, ay, mijito, nunca pregunta a una mujer cubana cuántos años tiene. Never ask an old Cuban lady how old she is. But grandmother, how old are you really? Bueno, mijito, yo tengo 15 años. I'm 15 years old. Abuela, no puede ser. You can't be 15. I'm almost 15. How is it possible that you are younger than my dad? She said, es un milagro. It's a miracle. <laughs> Abuela, it's not a miracle. How old are you? Bueno, mijito, yo tengo 16 años. And she would go through each 
age, one over the other, all the way up. I would ask this. It was just nothing else to do but play this game. How old are you really? I'm 16. How old are you really? I'm 17. And we kept going and climbing through the ages until she got into the 60s and the 70s. 75 years old. Abuela, que vieja. Si, mijito. Yo soy vieja. I'm old. You're the oldest person I've ever met. Si, mijito. Yo soy muy vieja. I've never met anybody. Ah, ya, ya, mijo. Está bien. No te preocupes. I know I'm old. It's okay. She said, Yo soy tan vieja que yo tengo una pata en la tierra and otro en cascarón de plátano. She said, I'm so old, I've got a foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. She said, I could slip and die any minute. Abuela, that's not funny. No, mijito. Es parte de la vida. It's part of life. We all get old. We all die. Abuela, I don't like this talk. No, mijito. Es posible que cualquier momento yo puedo... silent and she holds her breath but I can see her breathing but her face is so old and wrinkly she looks dead abuela I see you breathing <laughs> abuela that's not funny and one tiny part of my 12 or 11 year old brain said abuela te moriste did you just die and without moving her lips she says si <laughs> then how are you speaking es un milagro it's a miracle <laughs> And we would play that game over and over and over again. And in that living room was the beginning of my storytelling career. I told you this earlier, Sam. I wish I journaled more of those moments because some of those moments I journaled and some of those stories I turned into picture books and stories that I tell on the circuit. And some of those memories are gone. And when my family gets together, we tell those stories of those trips down to that house, past those places. Pedro South of the Border now is a huge, amazing thing with roller coasters and all kinds of things. And my grandmother's house is still there. But all of those old people died old and peacefully. And now all we have are their memories. <laughs> Pedro's South of the Border, uh, told for us by Antonio Sacre. And uh, that's one of a couple of things that Brian Tanner, our producer, is bringing to us today. Uh, memories of season two as we prepare for a new season of The Appleseed. And in just a moment, we're going to chat about that story. I've got around the desk with me Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley, our producers. We're going to hear from them in just a moment. I'm Sam Bain. Pedro's South of the Border, a story for anyone who's ever been on a road trip. Antonio Sacre, of course, was the storyteller. Brian, thanks so much for bringing that story to us. Yeah, and you know, throughout the year, uh, uh, the storytellers who have come into the Appleseed story, I don't think this is the only road trip story that we've heard, you know? <laughs> oh, no. And I think that they, I think it's such a relatable experience, and it's just, it's it's something that just seems to be so foundational to, <laughs> to so many people. Uh, these trips that they took when they were a kid, yeah. you know, everyone piling in the car and going mile after mile. And, and, we hear in this, there's great disappointment uh, yes. uh, uh, when they finally get to Pedro south of the border. It's yeah. like, what? It's just like a taco place. <laughs> but think what a great story that their family has to share. I, yeah. I Listen, uh, just, just to be straight about this, if I came upon a taco place, I would not say, whoa, it's just a taco yeah. place. Well, just to be straight <laughs> about this, every time I've driven by Pedro south of the border, it's closed. So, like, I was like, wait, they got in? Because I've done that trip so many times, and I'm like, there it goes. Nobody's there. Just a bunch of concrete. Yeah. And so, yeah. I'm ex I'm excited that they even got to go into side of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, my wife is from California and so we'll frequently drive down to visit her parents. Yeah. Um and I just know all the tourist traps all along the way, you know. <laughs> from, That's right. From from Utah down there, you've got the alien jerky. Sure, of course. Billboards yeah. everywhere. Yeah. All the stuff in Vegas. Yeah. You've got the Peggy Sue's 50s diner. You've got the giant <laughs> thermometer and baker. And, yeah. You know, and they just become kind of like these these uh, milestones where, yeah. just like, it, where everyone looks forward to seeing them, you know, <laughs> right. and it has it, it become part of the family culture. But, I mean, right. I mean, 
this is an American story, right? You were saying foundational, and in my mind, I was thinking this is Americana. Yeah. Whether yeah. you're driving past Wall Drug up on the I-80, yeah. or you're driving by Bucky's on yeah. uh, the 10, yeah. right? There's some place that you're like, okay, foot long, uh, you know, Wiener Schnitzel or whatever it is. Like it's coming. <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing that's going to make it worthwhile. Yeah. So right. you know, that's that is a good point. That is a very American story. Uh, my wife. Life, uh, before we were married, she took a trip to the United Kingdom, and they were in the south of Wales one day, and they were driving to the north of Wales, uh, and it was a three or four hour trip. Um, but the people at their bed and breakfast, when they heard they were going to be driving three to four hours <laughs> all the way across the country in one day, they're like, "You, you need to break that trip up. You, you can't go that far in just one day." You know? <laughs> I so a friend of mine from Germany. She and her mother decided to drive uh, out west, right, and mm-hmm. visit the iconic western spots, and she said they were in panic mode um, once they got on those empty highways where you could look like miles one way Mm. and miles the next way and there was nobody around. And she said literally uh, they'd never been so frightened in their lives. Mm. Wow. Because it was just empty. Wow. And this idea that you could like break down and that'd be it. Well, those are the moments when my kids announce they have to go to the bathroom. Right. <laughs> it's just like, sorry, kids. <laughs> There's nothing for 20 miles. <laughs> we'll see what happens when you open the box on road trip memories. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we got them all. <laughs> but that's not the only thing we're going to share with you today. Brian, you've brought something else as well, right? Yes, I have. And this is a very personal one for me. It came from episode 10 of season two. It's called Song for Grandpa Tanner. Yeah. Um, my name is Brian Tanner, so you might make the connection there. Um, back at Easter of last year, we put together what we were calling kind of like a faith-telling episode, yeah. uh, where it was just a whole bunch of stories of people expressing faith uh, in different ways. And this was some a memory that came back to me, and I put together this little story about it, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. Yeah, it's a lovely piece. I'm, I'm really thrilled we're going to revisit it today. Uh, song for Grandpa Tanner here on The Appleseed. When you're a classically trained singer, you get asked to sing at a lot of funerals. Trust me, I know. And the reason to ask an opera singer like me is because the family is looking for something big and grand to honor the memory of a loved one. Something classical like, O Divine Redeemer. Or a sweeping, inspirational favorite like, You'll Never Walk Alone, from the musical Carousel. And I loved pouring my heart into giving the families the grand moment that they were hoping for. So, going big at a funeral was always my impulse. In fact, if I had my wish, not to mention the services of a full orchestra, double chorus, and three operatic soloists, this is the music that I'd want performed at my own funeral. That's The Dream of Gerontius by Edward Elgar. And it's not just the size of the music that overwhelms me. It's the majesty of the idea it's depicting. Nothing less than the journey of the soul out of this world and into the presence of God. The Dream of Gerontius came to mind when I heard that my grandpa Tanner had died. My family had asked me to perform a musical number at the funeral— And of course, my mind went first to my typical grand funeral repertoire. The sentiments in those songs were perfect, and they were just my style. I was an opera singer after all, but they weren't my grandpa's style. My grandpa was a cowboy. There's a specific picture of my grandpa that pops into my head whenever I think of him. He's wearing a bolo tie and a white Stetson cowboy hat that has a little placard on the front with a Winston Churchill quote. Something about the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. 
He owned many horses over the years. The ones I rode as a kid were named Duke and Buster. And Grandpa always had a watermelon rind for me to feed to the horse before I climbed into the saddle. Grandpa continued to own and ride horses well into his 80s. And he even took a mule ride to the bottom of the Grand Canyon at the tender age of 86. My grandma Tanner, married to my grandpa for 70 years, suggested that he would have wanted cowboy songs at his funeral. I didn't know what to make of that suggestion at first. Cowboy songs? At a funeral? Sung by me? (laughs) But grandma's request brought back memories of riding around in grandpa's old pickup truck, listening to cassette tapes of the old cowboy vocal group, The Sons of the Pioneers. Them tumbling down, pledging their love to the ground. Lonely but free, I'll be found, drifting along with a tumbling tumbleweed. The Sons of the Pioneers rose to fame during the Great Depression, around the time when my grandpa was in his early 20s, and preparing for grandpa's funeral. It's those cowboy tunes that got stuck in my head. Along with the Sons of the Pioneers, my dad had mentioned to me that Grandpa's favorite hymn was How Great Thou Art. And now that song was stuck in my head, too. So the funeral began like many funerals, with prayers and eulogies and remarks by loved ones. I sat nervously in the pews as my turn approached. And then it came. I stepped up to the pulpit. The guitar slung over my dark gray suit. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the world's thy hands have made. Using How Great Thou Art as the spine, I'd woven together a medley with two favorite songs from the Sons of the Pioneers Tumbling Tumbleweeds and Cool Water. I'd even changed out the name of a horse in the latter song from Dan to Duke. Because Duke, after all, had been the name of one of my grandpa's horses. No, this is not the piece I would have prepared for any other funeral. But working out the medley had actually helped me understand my grandpa better. I think he loved How Great Thou Art for its expression of wonder at the magnificence of the world that God created. And he communed with that magnificence by heading out into nature on the back of his horse. Well, I played my final chord and I sang my final note and I took my seat. I had all kinds of misgivings about the music. Did anyone out there think that it wasn't appropriate to sing cowboy songs in a funeral? But then... My Uncle Don stepped up to the mic. I was doing okay until Brian got up. <laughs> Brian, thank you for capturing just the heart and soul of, of Dad. He loved horses and Heavenly Father. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. At that point, I just started bawling. I knew what preparing that music had done for me, but I didn't know how the rest of the audience had received it. My uncle's comments confirmed that the message of my song horses and Heavenly Father had been received. As an epilogue to that story, my grandpa didn't live to see me get married or have children of my own. In the final years before he died, he told me how he hoped that someday I might have a son of my own. Well, later on I did get married, and our first child was indeed a son. And when I held him for the first time, I rocked him gently And I found myself singing one of Grandpa's old cowboy songs. We're alone, Tony Gal, in the wind and hail. Gotta drive these doggies down the trail. I don't know why Dony Gal popped into my head at that moment and became the very first lullaby that I ever sang to my precious child. He's older now, and bedtime songs are a part of our regular routine. And at bedtime, we cycle through dozens of different songs. But if you ask my son what his favorite is, well, he might just say it's the cowboy song. 
and I love to sing it to him because I can hear Grandpa Tanner in it. From sun to sun, for a cowboy's work is never done. He's up and gone at the break of day, driving them doggies on their weary way. We're alone. Gal in the wind and hail Gotta drive these doggies down the trail. Yeah, I I really love uh that story. I'm I'm thrilled that you brought it to us today, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And you know, in the time since I recorded this story. Um, something very significant that happened to me was one of my best friends from childhood died. Mm. Um, very unexpected and very, very sad. And I was asked to sing at his funeral. Mm. And the song that they asked me to sing was Strawberry Fields Forever mm. by the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, having had this experience with my grandpa's funeral, um, where, you know, I, I thought like, can you do cowboy songs at a funeral? You know, but yeah. it, it it prepared me like, yeah, I'll sing the Beatles at a funeral. <laughs> Why not? You know, because uh, it really did capture my friend, just like the the cowboy stories captured my grandpa. Yeah, you know, and 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 it was it was such a moving experience as I explained in the story. Like w- when I could tell that the message was received. It's like I'm trying to say that my my grandpa was a man of faith, um, with the how great thou art, and but he also loved horses, you know, and and those two things were so intertwined for him. They weren't separate things. It was like, I experienced the wonders of God's creation because I'm out on a horse. Yeah. I, uh, that story has always reminded me of, uh, the last time I got to talk to my great grandmother before she died, um, we were just asking her, we knew she was going to die. She was on palliative care and, uh, we were just asking her stories of her life, and she talked about her children, and she talked about growing up in uh, Beulahdine, North Carolina. And <laughs> then we said, so, Granny, we heard you used to ride horses. And she said, that was the joy of my life. Wow. <laughs> um, and she just rhapsodized for, you know, five minutes about how much she loved to ride, how free she felt, how she flirted with boys because she'd always race them, you know, yeah. like, and beat them to town. And uh, <laughs> and it just, like, meant a lot to me that she just she just memed all over. Um, and and I got to see her so happy about something from yeah. her youth. So. You know, I'll tell you that the a funeral and the careful prepar- the careful preparation for honoring someone at a funeral can be such a connective thing between not only you and the people who attend the funeral, but between you and the person who has passed on. Yeah. And uh, this this year, uh, my stepfather passed away, and my siblings and I prepared a memorial service for him. And one of the things that became important to us was was thinking about the sort of memorial service that my mother might have prepared for her Mm. husband of 23 years. And my mother is still with us, but has been in the throes of a very deep dementia for many, many years. And as we thought about that, one of the things that we discovered in an old box of things in my closet in my house was a graduation ceremony that my mother had prepared in the living room of the house in which we grew up for me and my brother, me me and, and, and my three brothers. Mm-hmm. All of us had graduated from either college or high school close enough to one another that my mother threw a graduation ceremony for all of us. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, and we f- we we came to think, good heavens, maybe some of the elements of that graduation ceremony could stand for the things that my mother might have planned for my stepfather's, in essence, graduation. Oh wow! And so we brought some of those same poems and songs 
And in that way, we kind of got to say that my mother had planned the funeral. (laughs) And it became really, really important to us. And I think we'll always remember that. Yeah. What a beautiful piece uh, that is. We're very happy to have shared it. Uh, Brian, thanks for bringing it to us. No, no problem. And there's a lot more coming up. In just a moment, we're going to, well, we're going to tell a story that's for anyone who's ever tried to do something new. Is that you? I know it's me. You can't see, but I'm raising my hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's coming up. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure to have you with us uh, today on the Appleseed. We're revisiting some old Appleseed favorites, and this hour has already included a story from Antonio Sacre, Pedro's South of the Border, the delightful road trip tale, and uh, a conversation about an experience that Brian Tanner, our producer, had uh, preparing a song for the memorial service of his grandfather. Up next, we've got, uh, well, it's a story about someone who tried something new. Brian, you chose this as one of your favorite Appleseed memories. I did. This is a story that we call Sherry Call and the Electric Guitar. (laughs) And so this is a story about someone who just has something dumped on them at the last minute. (laughs) And and they have to see if they're up to the task or not. Yeah. Uh, It's a great story. And here it is on the Appleseed. This is Sherry Call. She's a musician. That's kind of like a Travis pick um, picking style. And so I, I can do that. Um, but what I can't do are these, you know, face melting guitar solos <laughs> that we really needed for this show. Face melting solos. What show is Sherry talking about? Well, that's the story we want to tell you. Here's Sherry talking a little bit about her relationship with the guitar. I play the acoustic guitar. I've played for a lot of years, but I play easy chords. <laughs> um, you know, I picked it up in college. I, I've played other instruments just kind of, I, I'm not great at any one instrument, but I love to write songs. And she does. In fact, Sherry has a catalog of like a dozen albums. This is Sherry. With a heart made of wind, I will run through And this is Sherry. There's a big yellow And this is Sherry. I can't promise that I'll always get it right. But I will walk you through the night. So she's no hack musician and no hack guitar player, but she's an acoustic guitar player. I I feel most comfortable with acoustic guitar. And that's the setup to this story. A story about being brave. And the story really begins right here. A couple years ago, I won an electric guitar in a songwriting contest. And so that was really exciting. I I love the electric guitar. I've just always had other people do it. And the electric guitar is not all she won. It was really exciting. They also sent me a couple of distortion pedals with it, which if you know anything about my music, you'll think it's funny (laughs) that I have these crunchy, you know, um, distortion pedals. Now, this story takes place not at one of Sherry's shows, where Sherry and her musician friends play Sherry's music, but rather at a place where Sherry has a gig teaching young musicians. I teach to high school age students. It's kind of an after-school studio uh, where people come and take lessons, and I also direct this um, pop music program where we help the students learn pop songs. They have choreographers. um, They have... They put on this big show, they, so they learn covers, and then I also help them write songs. And twice a year, we do these really big shows, and we hire a whole band to back them up. It's a huge thing. There are um, several medleys of top 40 pop songs, in addition to songs that I helped some of them write, that we also have been getting the band ready to play at this big show. So imagine this kind of showcase extravaganza in which these students are all getting ready to play a combination of original music and cover tunes, and it's kind of a big deal for these kids, and also for the band. So everybody's been planning for this for months. So that's the kind of excitement you need to imagine as you hear about what happened next. 
The show is going live before an audience of hundreds of people on Monday and on Saturday, two days before the show. Sherry gets a phone call from the guy who is running the show, essentially. And it was a the very guy unpleasant phone call. He told me that our guitar player, Chris Henderson, who is an electric guitar playing god, you know, he can play anything and he always adds such tasty, you know, flavors to all of these, my students' songs and all, and he can play exact how it sounds on the radio, all these other top 40 songs. Um, well, we found out that he had coronavirus. And so he was out. He was out for our show, for that rehearsal. And, you know, at first I thought, you know, I just thought, oh, that's, that's so terrible. Who can we call? Who can they call indeed? Now that conversation goes on for a while. The conversation between Sherry and the guy running the show, his name is Adam. And a terrible realization begins to dawn for Sherry. The more I talked through it with Adam, I, I, I realized why he was calling me. <laughs> He's, he said, no one knows the students' songs as well as you do. Okay, says Sherry. And that might not be such a problem, except... I don't play the electric guitar. I really don't. He's like, you have an electric guitar? Yes, I do. I have one. I don't play it in front of people. Back and forth goes this argument for a while on the phone. And in the end, it doesn't take much more needling from Adam. Sherry begins to resign herself to the unsettling truth. I thought about it and I knew like what it, what it really needed. It really needed that electric guitar. Resigned to that awful truth, Sherry musters her courage and she shows up at the all-day Saturday rehearsal for this enormous show. And waiting for her are the charts, essentially the instructions for playing the music, kind of a combination of music notation and handwritten notes and pictures of complicated chords and... Sherry is trying to read these charts that were written by this amazing guitarist, the one who is out sick. And there's just no way. It was just dread. I mostly just looked at these charts with this sinking feeling of dread. And I tried to transpose. I, I put a capo on my guitar and I tried to transpose as best I could. Transposing, or in this case, trying to change the key the guitar plays in by applying a little device called a capo and then interpreting the stuff written on the page into a key that she knows the fingerings for and doing it all on the fly in the moment of the actual playing and then wrestling with distortion pedals and other stuff connected by wire on the floor in front of her. Well, she goes home from that rehearsal just beaten down by the task she's taken on. In fact, it reminds her of a dream she used to have a lot, a nightmare. So I used to be a waitress and I used to have this recurring nightmare that right before the restaurant was supposed to close, hundreds of people would come in and the, the kitchen staff had gone home and like everybody had gone home and I had to cook and serve all of this food and more and more people came in. The closest thing I have had happen in my real life that makes me feel that way is the morning of that show. If you would have told me I had to jump out of an airplane that day, I would have been less nervous than I was that day. But as so often happens when your back is against the wall, with one day before the concert, Sherry decides not to give up. On Sunday, I spent the entire day making myself new charts. And I had to, like, write myself a description of the chord. Like, do the fake B that you do and then take this finger off at this point. Like, I actually wrote it on the chart. <laughs> they were the weirdest charts. And not only did she make new charts, but she also gave herself, well, a kind of pep talk. What I told myself, and this isn't going to sound very inspiring, but the thing I told myself is, whether this is a terrible day or a great day, by the time I'm laying back in this bed, at the end of the day, it will be done. <laughs> and so I thought, I'll live, you know, I, like, I can live through it and I'll do the very best I can and that's, that's all I can do. And armed with those new charts, she shows up for the show. And it might be important right here to note that as is so often the case when we have to face something bravely, we often don't have to face it alone. And so it was on this day as well. Sherry worked herself up to face the challenge, but 
she had help, too. My friend, my bass player friend, he noticed a couple of weird things I was playing and helped me fix my chart on a couple things. And my, my husband the night before also helped me make an actual pedal board <laughs> that I could use. So I kind of was able to make like ambient swells of chords and without having to play like face melting solos because it just wasn't going to happen. And armed with her new charts, the advice from a friendly bass player and a homemade pedal board, it's time for action. The show begins. And it's not easy. I'd look at these charts and every chart kind of felt like it was punching me in the face. Like when, when a new chart would, I'd pull up the new chart, uh, it's just like, oh, this one, you know, and I'd have to like go into the depths of my brain to figure out like, okay, is this the song that has that lick at the beginning or is it the other one, you know? It's so I kind of hacked my way through the show. scary and I wish I could say that like it was this miracle where I didn't make any mistakes when you make a mistake on an electric guitar it's actually quite loud <laughs> so it was really scary it was it was a scary thing in spite of the challenges Sherry fights on through pop tune after pop tune and when it's all over like she said it hasn't gone perfectly but then something happens. After the show, during loadout or throughout the course of the day, as Sherry runs into her students, the ones she has accompanied today on the electric guitar, they all say kind of the same thing to her. I can't believe you did that. You're my hero. I can't believe you did that. You're my hero. And Sherry knows better than to interpret their praise as a compliment of her mad guitar skills. Sherry suspects that their praise might have to do with something even more important than face-melting solos. I hope the reason I was their hero was that I tried something that was harder than I knew how to do because I asked them to do those kind of things all the time. Like in class when they're writing songs and they have to share an idea that's scarier than they wanted to talk to everybody else about or even me. Um, or even to play that song in a show when they've never played an original song before. I thought, okay, now that I've played the electric guitar in front of hundreds of people without even knowing how to play, maybe you can do those things too. So yeah. That little moment when Sherry says, So yeah. That's like my favorite little moment in my whole conversation with Sherry. In that little moment, you hear the, so yeah, of satisfaction, the kind of, no big deal or the been there done that of this whole experience and it's not filled with bravado it's just filled with the kind of happiness that she did the thing that she set out to do but if you want a little more then so yeah sherry is glad to give you more remember her little pep talk to herself about no matter how things went she could lie in her bed after the concert having lived through it and having done her best she circles back to that. When I finished and I played that last note and the whole thing was done, like I had that feeling, like I did it. Like now I can go lay down in that bed and I will have done it. And I actually didn't do too bad of a job. Not too bad of a job. Well, there's a tiny bit of modesty there. And I say that because there's kind of a coda to this story. Remember the guy who was in charge of the show, Adam, the guy who first called her and asked her to play electric guitar in the show in the first place? Well, he had some, shall we say, final feedback on her performance. He wants me to be like an auxiliary guitar player on our next show. Like, we definitely are getting Chris back, but... I think he might actually have me play, he might, I'm not going to hold him to this and I certainly will not have feelings hurt, but he suggested that maybe another time he would have me do it again. And how does Sherry feel about that? Well, that's kind of the miracle of this kind of bravery, this kind of courage. After an experience like this electric guitar experience, Sherry has, well, 
she's changed. I think it would be fun if I if I had time to prepare. The cool thing about it is I can picture myself playing the electric guitar in front of people now when I never was going to do it before. Sherry Call and the electric guitar, a favorite of ours from the Appleseed. And thanks to Sherry Call for sharing that story with us. Brian Tanner, you brought that story to This is an episode in which, again, we're looking back on some of our favorite Appleseed moments uh, from the last little while. And, and that's one of yours. Yeah, and it was so fun to go back and revisit it. It came from February of last year, almost a full year ago, from from episode three of season two. Um, And it came from an episode that was about being brave. (laughs) And we heard in there this story by Pippa White about this girl who makes this daring horseback rescue and saves her dad's life, you know? And I think a lot of times when we think about being brave, we think of really big things like that. But I liked how this story was so relatable. Everybody's been in a position where it's just like, I don't think I'm ready yet. And who, me? You want me to do that? And then you have to rise to the occasion. And it's so gratifying when you're put in a position like that and you, you get through it and you can look back and say, I'm capable of more than I thought I was. Right. I can do hard things. Yeah. Well, I, this is one of the first things, uh, one of the first episodes that I listened to, and I just loved that this person existed. Here's this woman, <laughs> like, who's a professional guitarist, playing guitar, like, everything about her voice and about her experience to me just made me go, yeah, girl, you rock the world. So mm-hmm. I loved it. Did it make you say, I'm going to try something? I'm going to try a new job where I move my family yeah. states and <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah that's one you you talk about this is one of the first episodes that you heard of the apple seed you were just coming on yeah. as our producer at the time when this episode was 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 hitting the air indeed so, yeah mm-hmm. still here somehow yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> well what a pleasure to share that story with you as well as Pedro's south of the border the delightful tale shared with us by Antonio Sacre and the story about Brian preparing a piece of music for his grandfather's memorial service. A pleasure to share all these stories with you. We're remembering things from season two of The Appleseed for a couple of weeks here. We're about to head into a hiatus, a brief break for just a few weeks while we're getting season three of The Appleseed ready to go. And of course, uh, during that break, we encourage you to listen to some of the other shows, some of the other podcasts in the BYU Radio family of podcasts. Top of Mind with Julie Rose. You can hear also Constant Wonder, a podcast about the wonders of the world in which we live. You can hear the Lisa Show and In Good Faith, a show in which host Stephen Cap Perry uh, talks with people about their faith journeys, people from all walks of life. They're all terrific podcasts and they'll keep you company while we're uh, preparing season three for you. I'm Sam Payne. Thanks for joining us on The Appleseed. Seed.